The program is called Put on a Stack of 45s. It's a show where we demonstrate to you the importance of music. We are the College of Musical Knowledge. Bill Mesnick in California, Rich Buckland in Florida. Let me tell you, my friends, what they're doing here in Florida with Disneyland. I never thought that the day would Yeah, what's come. happening with Disneyland? They're taking away its uh, sovereignty. They're taking away its, its, its... It was a mystical place where... It was a, la- a land of its own. No, please. I understand completely. There is a mystical element to it and because of issues that are... I, I will not even bother to go into. They're taking away... Well, it has to do with the masking, right? And no, it's got, no, it's got to do with gayness. Oh, gayness. <laughs> they don't want to. You're not, don't say gay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, forget about That's the what's mask. Happening in Florida. The mask thing is over. Forget but there's about the a lot mask. of gay people in Florida. Yeah, absolutely, but you know, Ron DeSantis has gotten this 100 million dollar uh, pocketbook as, as a result of being homophobic, and uh, you don't let go of that shit. Meanwhile, you got <laughs> the leaders of the GOP on tape saying <laughs> the that, and they got Trump going. Yeah, I, I, I think I did something a little wrong here. All this shit, all this shit, and people don't basically give a flying fuck. Yeah, it's right. it's 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 startling. It's startling. It's startling. But an MSNB correspondent went to Ukraine, put on the uniform, and is fighting, and he's not a young man. Okay. So there are people who've got certain standards that are. Uh, not all mouth, my friend. Speaking of not all mouth, here's a guy. Here's a guy. Here's a guy. <laughs> I remember here's him a guy. so well. His name is David Johansson, and uh, had a magnificent little uh, outfit made up of uh, every misfit from Brooklyn, Staten Island that you possibly could imagine. Called themselves the New York Dolls. And, you know, Bill, they kind of had a personality crisis. They had a personality crisis, and, and that's the record that we're going to focus on today from 1973 on the Mercury label. This was produced by the, the famous Todd Rundgren. It was a double A-side with Trash. Another, uh, another song of the day that was yes. proto-punk in its... It's an interesting concept when you listen to the dolls. You were, you were, we were discussing this. You were, I think, inquiring as to whether or not the band was really any good. <laughs> well, yeah. So why don't we go to the information that you acquired? But why would we cover a record that we didn't think? was good. Well, you oh, do think it's good. No, I do think it's good. And I also think that the band was um, tremendously more important than given credit for at the particular time that they came around. Right. So I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's, it's almost universally uh, agreed that the band was very influential. And, okay, so th- they did their first performance in 1971, um, and uh, between 71 and the time that they broke up, which was, what, 70, 
What year did they break up? Do you, well, do you have that? If, if you figure that they only made two albums, 73, 74, The Dolls and Too Much Too Soon. Didn't make another record until 2006. But I believe they kept on performing until 1976. 1976, as for their original outfit. The original outfit went from, well, that was the original outfit. After that, it was um, hit and miss. Well, Billy, Billy Mercia died in um, 1972. Well, let's go down the list of who comprised the New York Dolls. Each and every yeah. one of them, as I mentioned, has their own documentary, which is interesting in itself. Well, that, that's another indication of how influential they were. Yeah, yeah. And uh, not unlike the Velvet Underground, um, each member cast a very long shadow. Uh, if you were paying attention to this style of music during that period of time. Oh, here, here I have the information. They debuted in 1971 at the homeless shelter at the Endicott Hotel. And their last show was at Max's Kansas City, December 30th. 1976. Yeah, seventy-six was the final show. And, and yeah. um, the original lineup was, of course, David Johansson, the lead singer, also a aspiring actor who knew how to play the part that uh, he felt was going to uh, make him a rock and roll I ne he never dreamt of being a rock and roll icon. He just wanted yeah, to he's a before. chameleon. Uh, yeah. You know, Buster Poindexter was more successful than uh, the, the Dolls, the, and, the, the, and yeah. his acting career has continued. Yeah, thank you, Doc. If you just joined us, we're talking to uh, Buster Poindexter. Now, that, that's your persona now, right? You did, as I mentioned, work... It's a nom de guerre. Yes. Nom de guerre, yeah. <laughs> Andy Kaufman, the late Andy Kaufman, used to work under Tony Clifton. He would go out. And, did it, and refused to admit that at that time that he was not Andy Kaufman. Remember? He was Tony Yeah, Clifton. I recall that, yes. But you worked David Johansson with the, with the New York Dolls, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I switched that because, you know, I, I was a teenage band that I was yeah. in. And um, I got tired of officiating at, a, at Hitler youth rallies. You know, all the kids are out there like this. So I just decided I would do something a bit more mature and sing songs that I love from all times. Yeah. And how did you... Uh, Glom onto Buster Point next year. Well, it's an old nickname of mine from when I was a kid. Why is she? I didn't know that. Um, they used to call me, my mother used to call me Buster, and the kids on the street, they would catch me at the library, so they would call me Poindexter. Right. You know how people like put the encyclopedia outside of a Playboy? Right. I used to do it the other way around. I'd have the Playboy and the encyclopedia on the inside. Good, it throws them off. Do you ever work now? Do you ever work now as a, under the other name, David Johansson? Well, I do films as David Johansson. I'm doing a film now at Paramount with Bill Murray called Scrooge, really? which is for next Christmas. It's going to be a great movie. Yeah. Um, and as I was saying to you, when I watched the clip on <laughs> of the Midnight Special, of all things, oh, yeah. um, uh, he looks like he's trying to be Jagger. Well, but he always had the mouth and the eyes and the... And that thin the frame. skinny body. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, he had all the attributes to be able yes. to be a jagger. But the moves, he was actually doing the moves. Yeah. Like the, the yeah. chicken walk and all that stuff. But I think that he was doing it mockingly. Um, Do you think he was satirizing? Well, as you had indicated, they would all come out there dressed like prostitutes. So yeah, I that, think that's what Morrissey said. That, in, in, in uh, and of itself, is an indication that. 
uh, you're either trying to be um, shocking or you're trying to make some satirical point. But as we agreed, they did have a musical um, uh, credo. They were trying to to go, you know, like I I did Captain Billy on uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and talked about how prog rock had bloated rock and roll to almost ridiculous proportions. And then this counter wave happened and the dolls were in the avant garde of that. And Johansson, in an interview with Conan O'Brien, said, yeah, we wanted short songs to get right to the meat. And so when you and I saw them, their entire set was like 30 minutes long, right? And it was boom, like the, they, they predated the Ramones by several years. And you also indicated that it was uh, going live on radio. Yeah, so we, we went to see them at my father's place in Roslyn on Easter Sunday, April 14th, 1974. And it was broadcast on WBAB. And um, there were 12 songs in the set. And they were the opening act was the Miamis, which we did not remember. No, didn't remember them at all. And I think we may have shown up late and just didn't get to see them. I don't remember them at all, but I saw them later on at CBGB's where they were regulars and headliners. Yeah, the Miamis. The Miamis, right. But uh, We Deliver was their, I guess, their signature song. Yes, yes. Um, in the interim, here you've got... Here, here's, here's what I find interesting. In the, in the wake of the recent Velvet Underground documentary and the recent Walhall documentary, the dolls were not treated as a Iggy Pop, Brian Eno, Lou Reed, uh, um, st- within that stratosphere or status. Andy never wanted David Johansson or Johnny Thunders for a photo shoot or, <laughs> or to have come up to the factory and visit. Um, of course, this was a little past that period, but Andy was still making his movies, and you'd think that he could have used guys like this David well they were bitter, bigger in England than they were in the States and Johansson tells this story on Conan also how they sort of caught fire was they were up in Newcastle and you know um, doing something and they drank a lot of brown ale and they were on stage and the drummer uh, started puking but he kept playing as he was puking and then Everybody in the band puked, and it was very punk before punk, and the crowd went crazy with lust and delight seeing these rockers puking and playing simultaneously. That's all it took back then. People were easily entertained. <laughs> uh, very easily entertained. So it's Johnny. And Malcolm McLaren uh, took them on as an informal manager and stylist and put them in red leather. And um, he also, uh, this was, a, you know, sort of the, the, the birth of the idea of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, without the politicism and without the, uh, I mean, this was social uh, critiquing and satire in my estimation. Um, looking for a kiss. There's going to be a showdown. Their cover of uh, Stranded in the Jungle. They were a rock and roll band 
who took itself about as seriously as you're going to take yourself if your desire is simply to have as much fun uh, as you possibly can. So they, so you think that they were just satirists? I think that they were satirists who developed, with the help of producers like Todd Rundgren and certain management, uh, the ability to hone for two recordings a sound that was different than other recordings of that uh, nature. Well, uh, Todd Rundgren seemed to. Uh, sort of put some gold dust on everything he touched, um, as we discussed in the story of uh, uh, the meatloaf thing. But um, Morrissey, in this documentary that was done in 2005, called them the unluckiest group in the world. Every time something good was about to happen, they exploded. Well, no, you can't really call it unlucky when you don't take care of yourself. If you've got Johnny Thunders, the, the legendary narcotics-devoted guitar player. Who Arthur, died in 1991. Died in 91. Um, and From in, in, in the documentary, at the ending, you actually see Willie DeVille. Willie DeVille was a neighbor, and uh, he is kind of giving you a play-by-play as they're about to take Johnny's body out of this apartment that he had left for a period of time. Arthur Kane, the bassist, who had his own set of, of issues. Sylvain, Sylvain, who passed away last year, who was always on the, uh, who was always a part of the New York punk scene. But and became a cab driver. But became a cab driver because, you know, it's... Got to make a living. Hey, David Peel had this affiliation with John Lennon, but he lived on the street. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean... <laughs> Have a marijuana. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John could love you, but he wasn't about to take you in. Um, and uh, Jerry Nolan. And... People, they would quit, they would get high, they would try to get clean, they would reunite, but it would never be the original lineup. Uh, Rick Rivets and Billy Mercia, as you mentioned, um, Sylvain and Nolan replaced Rivets and Billy Mercia in 1972. Right. And uh, 
Uh, one of the interesting, Nolan called them the dead-end kids of today. And that's an interesting concept as well. Um, yeah, they have, they have that Leo Garcia, Hunts Hall feeling. That, that, they're very New York. Which leaves you to believe that there is a theatrical nature to it all that uh, oversees the entire operation. Yeah. And the theatrics were uh, spontaneous, but they were always uh, interrupted by mental health and uh, addiction issues. So how are you possibly going to sustain this? Um, the Velvet Underground's reunions were much more successful than any other band that had so many difficulties, but that's because of the genius of Lou Reed. I don't know if we can go into genius territory when we're talking about David Johansson. In fact, of course we can't. No, we no, can't, we can't go anywhere. We can't go anywhere Although, near that. Uh, personality crisis was listed as number 267 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. It's been covered by Sonic Youth, 1990, and uh, the Teenage Fan Club in 1998, uh, and appeared on the Todd Haynes movie, The Velvet Goldmine. And what, what I always found interesting about the record is that I, I believe it holds up. It holds up better than the albums do, and certainly better than the later productions. Uh, and when, they, when, when Johansson reunited with Sylvain Sylvain in 2004, for the record, one day it will please us to remember even this, Robert Krishgau chose it as the best album of the year. Uh, every, so yeah, they they have their fans. Well, of course, and there is something that was happening within this unit that was different uh, enough so to maintain this commercialism and yet this staggering amount of uh, of theatrical impairment. Because if you're, as, as you know, as an actor, devotion to the craft is, is nine-tenths of the game. It's work, 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 work. This was more drugs, 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 drugs. Well, I, I feel like one of their main components was this androgyny, which they exploited to the hilt. And that blew people's minds in 1971. You know, boys, you know, playing with your idea of what a boy is and um, and going full tilt on it. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, the album... You know, the, the, the name, New York Dolls, the lipstick, you know, everything was pointing to this idea of, you know, androgyny. And that famed album cover, yeah, which you couldn't really take your eyes off of because you're you're studying. And I think that that was the power that they exerted, along with you know this being in the forefront of punk. Now, on March the first, two thousand eleven, it was announced the Dolls would be the opening act for a summer tour for Motley Crue. 
and po and poison. Uh, the new lineup was guitarist, and this is a this is a pretty good lineup. Was Ear Earl Slick, who previously performed with Bowie and John Lennon, bassist Kenny Aronson, who performed with a number of performers, including Bob Dylan, and uh, drummer Jason Sutter, formerly a foreigner. That was probably their last shining moment. And that would be with Johansson and uh, Sylvain Sylvain? That was Johansson and, uh, I do, you know something? Syl yeah, and Sylvain. Um, he, who passed away January 13th, 2021 at uh, 69, leaving Johansson, the last surviving member. Last, last doll standing. The last doll standing. So... I, but I want I want to shout out because he was in the remake the film of Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Car Fifty Four. Where are you? Not running away from my duty. <laughs> I'm running away from you. Wherever you go, disaster follows. Oh my God! Two men on a mission. Officer Two. Officer Muldoon. We have the lowest reported crime rate in the whole city. Of course you do. You don't report any of it. They can outrun any killer. They're getting away. They can protect any witness. Oh, this is no time for a nap. Come on. Come on, get up. We gotta get out of here. And what they lack in good instinct. Hey, help! Police! Police, help! Right there. They make up for with good intentions. You've got That's right. with John C. McGinley. <laughs> yes, yes. Who did he play? He must have. He must have been um, Gunther Tutty. There's a holdup in the Bronx. Brooklyn's broken out. Broken out in fights. There's a traffic jam in Harlem that's backed up to Jackson Heights. There's a scout troop short a child. Khrushchev Stewart Idlewild. Car 54, where are you? Gil Ooh. Gilbert Gottfried would have appreciated. Yes, that's for Gilbert. Our shout out. This is for Gilbert. Um, uh, can't also forget that Johnny Thunders and Nolan formed one of the essential Lower East Side, uh, for lack of any better word, punk bands, the Heartbreakers. The Heartbreakers were supposed to be the next big thing. Uh, bassist Richard Hell, who went on to fame with the group Television, was uh, he left Television the same week that. Uh, Thunders and Nolan. David Johansson played Gunther Tootie. Did he really? Yep. Two cops, Gunther Tootie, David Johansson, and Francis Muldoon, John C. McGinley, are tasked with guarding Herbert Hortz, Jeremy Piven, a witness due to testify in an organized crime case. Okay, now I, I remember nothing about 1994. It. 1994. Yeah, that was a rough And year. Al Lewis was in it. Did he play Schnauzer? That I don't know. All right. See, now I have to unfortunately find this movie and for no doubt wind up having to rent it. Yes, Al Lewis played Leo Schnauzer. Of course. Who else yep. could he have played? Were any, any other of the original cast in there? Um, no cameo no. by Fred Gwynn? Penn Jillette was in it. Teller from Penn and Teller. 
Daniel Baldwin, Fran Drescher. Maybe it's worth another look. Uh, well, I don't for think a I, first look in my I don't, case. Yeah, for, yeah, in my case as well. All right, yeah, and we can give a boho out to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Al Lewis for reprising Schnauzer on the big screen. Uh, oh yeah, I I forgot completely about that. So the but the scene that Johansson is most known for is uh, in the movie Scrooged. Yes, he plays the ghost of Christmas past. The ghost of Christmas past, right. Um, so David, of course, goes on to his own to a solo career, calling himself Buster Poindexter. Yeah, he is a showbiz survivor. And this transformation for me, I found. Um, fascinating because I thought that he exercised it with uh, intelligence, with wit, with style, and they played the places that the dolls uh, could never sell out. Yeah, he was kind of like, you know, um, channeling all those great lounge acts, and he had a big hit with Hot, Hot, Hot. In 872, born on Staten Island. And it was a great idea. I mean, the persona fit the times, and it was something, once again, different. So he was able to make this transformation. Um, but he was the he only a, one. He has a radio show, too. Did you know that? On Sirius? Doesn't everybody? David Johansson's Mansion of Fun. <laughs> His Mansion of Fun? Yeah. What does he do on the match? Oh, he's he he you know he's got a lot of irons in the fire. Well, the, he's he's learned to make a living in the business. Yeah. Uh, and after you know after the initial success with the group of individuals who did not take any of this seriously, he was evidently the only one who did. Well, you know, I mean, he he. He knows a good gig when he sees it. Well, yeah, I mean, and everybody's got to do something, and he didn't. I mean, I feel like he was always an actor. 
Um, Even in the dolls. I agree with you. I think he was the component. The others had this uh, fascination with being professional rock and roll musicians. Johnny Thunders in particular. But uh, for every opportunity that you... You made the comment earlier that they seemed to sabotage every opportunity or something would occur. That's what Morrissey said, yeah. But it, it, what he's actually saying is they could not sustain the devotion to uh, to the world. Well, it requires discipline, it, life discipline. Life discipline. You can't just presume that you're going to be able to show up... Uh, you're going to, you, Impaired. In, well, in, in Johnny's case, way beyond that. So uh, these were all accidents or suicides waiting to happen. And um, David's relationship with himself is what salvaged a career and also makes the New York Dolls, because as you had stated, no one else could have taken on that role. And that is indeed what we're talking about, the role. Yeah. Yeah. Of David Johansson, the lead vocalist for this theater group. Yeah, I'd sort of be curious to know how he got hired, you know, because it, it may have been similar to things that you engage in, like putting an ad in the Village Voice and, you know, people showing up. Um, it's like, because I, I, he, given, I mean, he's obviously a musical uh, talent, but um, he's more of a personality and a performer, and he's shown that through the various incarnations of showbiz that he's mutated into and out of. So if we follow, anyway, let's let the audience judge. But just and, uh, just the the lineage itself, because we're, you were referencing the formation itself. It's yeah. interesting how the formation is detailed. Um, in certain biographies, Sylvain, Sylvain, and Billy Mercier, who went to junior high school and then high school, started playing in a band called The Pox in 67. After the frontman quit, Mercier and Sylvain started a clothing business called Truth and Soul. Sylvain took a job at the uh, clothing store, a different drummer, men's Right, uh, across the street was from New a York place doll called the, a doll repair shop. Right, the New York Doll Hospital, a doll repair shop. Yeah. And he said... And that's where they got the name. That's where they got the name. But it seems... And how did they find Johansson? Where, when Thunders decided he no longer wanted to be the front man, David Johansson joined the band. Right, joined, all but how joined. did they find it? And I believe in the documentary there's more information, but they're still a little um, elusive about yeah, how because they... because I feel like, you know, he was always separate and apart, and he was doing a gig. Well, I know what you're saying. It's like, how did Bruce find... Um, who was their initial drummer who was inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame with the E Street Band? Vinny, oh, Vinny Lopez. Vinny, Vinny Lopez. They found Vinny Lopez in an ad in the Village Voice. I can't tell yeah. you how many musicians were found in through the Village Voice. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, 
ultraviolet of Andrew of Andy Warhol fame auditioned for me as a result of an ad in the Village Voice, right? And right. invites me to her Fifth Avenue apartment. Um, <laughs> and, and very, the boy, boy, those were the days. You could find musicians. You could find love. You could find you know, all sorts of things. It, well, the the Village Voice was the New York survival guide. That's if you lived in New York or you came from New York from elsewhere, that was your all you needed to find a yeah. place to live. It was a great mag, uh, great newspaper, which is no more, right? It's, it's gone. It's I believe it was a inevitably. I thought I saw an article the other day about its revival online. Um, oh, I hope so. It, it it meant a lot to us. Yeah, it was the most important paper in in my lifetime because of how it integrated everything and allowed you to find anything in the world that you required to for whatever reason yeah you know it was freedom and the articles were as intellectually defined as anything you would find in the New York Times if you were more artistically inclined great writing yeah great great writing so, as you were, sorry to interrupt the uh, <laughs> the flow here, but we are now going to, uh, we're now going to take a listen to the New York Dolls and, ladies and gentlemen, personality crisis.
See, the record's also a lot of fun. It's a, <laughs> it, it really is a lot of fun. And every time I hear it, I recognize that they must have had a blast uh, being able to pour everything that they believed rock and roll was into these recordings and have them taken seriously. Yeah. And it was, re, re, uh, well, it was re-released in 78 with the B-side Looking for a Kiss on Belafon Records. So, you know, it, it had two lifespans. Yes, it had two lifespans. So the New York Dolls, here's to the New York Dolls, and uh, long, may they, uh, long may they reign within the territories of rock and roll that some do not take too seriously, but others find uh, uh, historical. And I Well, think- and, you know, in this day and age of uh, uh, blended gender, uh, they were 50 years in the avant-garde. Well, they certainly jumped upon what Lou Reed and David Bowie and a number of uh, the Hollywoodlong candy darling you know, the originators of this trend are the true, well, it's interesting. Pi- are I mean, the true pioneers. No, Andy came into a luncheonette where I was working as a waitress. <laughs> and he came over to me and said, you should be in movies. With the boss. Yeah. The luncheonette was like six in the morning and it was called Paradise Heaven or something. No, what was it called? It was oh, I know. T- oh, it was uh, tw- 12th of Always. 10th of Always. 10th of Always. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's called Blonde and a Bum Trip. What's it about? It's about um, a naive young lady who goes to Hollywood to make it big. Candy is a man, but in Warhol's phrase, she's a real lady. Um, Bowie did also did the same thing, but Bowie's big success was um, sort of he bottled it into this space alien character, which made the blended gender less of a front page issue. Because he also put on this magnificent stage show. Yeah, and he was a real musician. And would take on real musicians like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who you would not think would fit into that format, but... That was one of the great tours, and it was theatrical, and it was um, disciplined, and... Of course, that was later. That was later, but it was still the effort to compose something that was going to remain. Uh, We had Mick Ronson, and Mick Ronson was fabulous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a whole different different ballgame. But what I'm suggesting is, when you take a look at that album cover... I always think of the pioneers that came first, the particularly the Warhol crew. Yeah. And the people who really lived it 24 hours a day, and it was a real thing, whether it be... New uh, York yeah. personified. Yeah, whether it be, you know, uh, the Edie Sedgwick's or, or Hollywood Lawns or Candy Darlings or, you know, just this lineage of, of artists who truly were artists and um, devoted themselves to it above and beyond. They had their drug problems as well, et cetera, et cetera. But that was a whole other operation attached to uh, 
who I believe is the greatest artistic genius in my lifetime, Andy Warhol, and slaps a banana on an album and creates one of the most important recordings of all time with Tom Wilson in that first Velvet Underground record. So that was a life-changing, that was life-changing. The New York Dolls was not life-changing. It was a lot of fun, but it was certainly not life-changing. But I'll tell you what is life-changing. If you tune into Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball, where he takes out an 8-track from his collection and he begins to give you some insight into it, a little narrative, and then we play the whole thing in HD. And Emerson, Lake, and Palmer is running. And this weekend, you're going to hear a beautiful piece from Etta James, a beautiful LP, where Bill, once again, it gives his, uh, his, uh, his doctrine uh, his little doctrine on the uh, on, on the piece, and they're always insightful and uh, quite brilliant, quite often quite brilliant. And uh, oh, thank I, you. I tip my hat to uh, no, to, to, I, my, I to my part. Gratefully, he is uh, he is knowledgeable and poetic and uh, witty, and uh, and we want to get to the record, so I don't take too long. So you don't take too long. Yeah, you do what you you subscribe in the narrative to the two minute to three-minute recording, yes. yes. Keep it keep it brief. And you lay it all out in three minutes, and that's not easy to do. And, of course, put on a stack of 45s uh, is available for you, multiple. Uh, we got the Turtles Outside Chance uh, currently and, running. And uh, if you want to find us on Amazon Music. We will be up on and running on Dig This, the, we, the show titled Dig This, as it is on Facebook, on Amazon, and that will should be up shortly, so keep an eye out for that in your Amazon podcast section. Tell your friends. And coming up also, we we will offer the next splendid boho, the boho, where we take a character actor of note, someone who made a great film even greater, and this one is going to be a beauty because we couldn't even decide on one. It's two character actors. The film is Marty. The double header. Double header. The film is Marty. And the actors are the just incredible Joe Mantel, who was also known for that incredible line, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown to Jack Nicholson. And who's the other, my friend? <laughs> yes, it's the, the unbelievable, the, he'll live forever as Sergeant Carter, Frank Sutton. Frank Sutton. And we're going to share a story about how I... <laughs> but. I have new information. Don't no, give it away. I've got new information on this. Oh, okay. I've got new information Good. on this. Tell Please. me after the mic's yes, off. Yes, I will. I will. All right. I thank you, my friend. I love you. We will meet again. We will meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. Normally on a weekly basis. So we will see you soon. We love you. Thank you for your support. And uh, may God bless. Stay well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.